It's a simple recipe, but it would mean so much to me. Turn on the gas and make me feel fine. And all I wanna say is, just give me some hot pizza. Steve Siddall here with another episode of Financial Pizza. It's the only podcast that features clips and more from financial advisors heard on radio and in podcasts every week. It's all brought to you hot, fresh, and in 30 minutes or less. If you'd like to reach any of the advisors featured here, call them 800-662-6808 or just text pizza to 600-700. Coming up this week, we'll hear from Coach Pete DeRuta in a conversation he had with best-selling author Andrew Hallam. And we'll hear from retirement coach Joe Hamill on the standards of care in the financial industry. We'll check in with Eric Carney and Joseph Lanza in Southwest Florida. We also have the story of duct tape and a financial success story. So how about that market this week? That was the week that was. It's over. Let it go. That was the week that was. It started way Interesting guy for sure. Again, the book is Millionaire Teacher, The Nine Rules of Wealth You Should Have Learned in School, and it's available anywhere you buy books, including Amazon. You can learn more about Alan on his website, andrewhallam.com, and you can hear the rest of the interview by visiting coachlistens.com. Well, one thing is certain, it's a very volatile market, and there's no end in sight. On Friday, Stocks rose as investors continued to assure the financial risks stemming from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Oh, yeah, that happened. President Biden levied sanctions on Russia. Some say it's not enough. We'll see. Oil prices were over $100 per barrel on both sides of the Atlantic. That's the highest since 2014. Most of the gains were lost after Biden said the sanctions are specifically designed to allow energy payments to continue. American farmers expected to plant more corn than expected in spite of growing inflation in most all areas of agriculture, from fertilizer to fuel. Now, the outlook for combined corn, soy, and wheat acres, if realized, would be slightly more than last year and the highest since 2014. Farmers' planting plans are in focus because bigger crops could help cool soaring grain prices and potentially ease escalating food inflation worldwide. Well, let's hope so. Get ready. You may have to pay more for that six-pack of beer soon. Why? Well, because prices for aluminum rallied to a record in London on Friday. Nickel surged to the highest in more than a decade. Now, the concerns that will add additional inflationary pressure on buyers who use aluminum in everything from cables to soda and beer cans. Home buying in the U.S. slower than anticipated the first month of 2022. Pending home sales, a leading indicator of the health of the housing market, declined for the third straight month. Now, the National Association of Realtors Pending Home Sales Index, which tracks the number of homes that are under contract to be sold, fell 5.7% in January from December and dropped 9.5% from that same period a year ago. Now, that's what the numbers say, but it didn't stop a whole bunch of people lined up to see a house for sale in Raleigh. A Facebook video posted by a real estate agent showed the swarms of people wanting a peek at the property priced at $260,000. Almost unheard of with the average home in that neighborhood, about $400,000. And it took less than 24 hours for the house to go under contract. No word on that bidding war that happened. It really is a seller's market. 
Okay, on with the show. First up, America's Wealth Coach and best-selling author, Coach Pete DeRuta. Coach caught up with Andrew Hallam, the best-selling author and highly sought-after speaker. The topic, his latest book titled Millionaire Teacher, The Nine Rules of Wealth That You Should Have Learned in School. Well, folks, this is the time of the show where we go out across the world and find someone who's making a difference. And you guys know that I love to talk to authors, since I'm one myself. And this week, we have a very special author joining us from Panama. Yeah, the country of Panama, and his name is Andrew Hallam, and he's written a book, Millionaire Teacher, The Nine Rules of Wealth You Should Have Learned in School, and we talked about this uh, a, a month or so ago on our show when I found this book, and, and I liked it so much, and my staff loved it so much that I wanted to have the real author of the book on to talk from his own words what each chapter means or some of the chapters. And matter of fact, I like the book so much, I bought a copy for everyone in my company's organization. So I bought 20 copies and handed them out. And Thomas is uh, nodding his head near. Thomas, have you started to look at the – I mean, you guys like the book when I we talked about I started going it. through it. It's great. Okay. It's uh, there, There's so little information out there that's uh, practical that anything that you can get your hands on is, well, is very is, valuable. This is like a – owner's manual for the financial world, I think. And mm-hmm. so I've written some books, too. I like this book along with my seven baby steps. I think these books are both really good. But without further ado, let's welcome Andrew in. Andrew, welcome in. Hey, thanks very much, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad you guys uh, at least aren't turned off by a middle schooler's sense of humor because that's basically all I've got, and that's about all I put into Millionaire Teacher. <laughs> well, people listen to the show. They appreciate a millionaire, a, a middle school sense of humor because that's about what we do all the time. You even have the drum to go along with it. All right, so explain first why you're, why you're logging into the show from Panama today. What's going on in Panama? Hey, it's warm, for starters. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my wife and I have been globally nomadic for about eight years. And so I, I grew up in Canada and I was a public school teacher there. And I took a year off in 2002 and just to travel. I decided I'm going to travel the world. I was super naive thinking I could see the world in a year. And, uh, and the principal of the school that I was at in Canada ended up getting a job at a, a private international school based on a U.S. curriculum, mostly American uh, students servicing mostly American families in Singapore. And uh, he said, you should apply for this job. So I took that job. It was fantastic. I taught high school English. And then eventually I taught uh, high school personal finance. And we thought we'd take a year off in 2014. We figured, let's take a year off, take a break, travel a little bit. And one year led to two, which has led to eight so far. And we're, we're enjoying it. We're, we're floating around all over the place. So Panama is where we currently are. But we don't tend to be in any one spot longer than uh, typically a handful of months. So when you do that, do you do you find uh, what? And I'm just using a, a term that I hear, Airbnb. Do you do you find little houses to rent, or how, how do you go about that when you're nomadic in retirement? Yeah, sometimes we do. Sometimes, like right now, we're staying at an Airbnb. Yep. And uh, and other times, like we'll we'll actually rent a place. So renting is far cheaper, of course. So. Uh, no middleman. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Panama's got, I mean, great value for your money. So right now we're on this, uh, we've got this place on the 35th floor with this spectacular ocean view. And uh, it's about a thousand, it'd be if we were not doing the Airbnb thing, it'd be about a thousand dollars a month. And it has, you know, like a swimming pool on the top floor and it has a gym. And uh, it, it's, it's got this great gazillion dollar view. Like it's the most spectacular view I think I've ever seen from a from a building. It's incredible. 
You're talking about $1,000 a month. I know a guy who rented a place in Malibu, Airbnb. It was $1,000 a night. <laughs> it didn't have a pool. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so what a deal. You know, one, one of the things I, I, a lot of people have been trying to say, well, gosh, when I retire, I want my dollar to stretch further, so let me go to different countries. We heard a lot of people running to Mexico years ago, and Mexico still running to Mexico. The, the one complaint I hear is security. It's not the same safety feeling as we get in most neighborhoods here in America in Mexico. I don't know what Panama's like, and, but you have to know it's not going to be the same, but, but, and the food's going to be different too, but I guess, I guess you guys like that. You know what's interesting is it's, uh, when you're looking at safety, it's generally regional. Um, so, yeah. you, you know, the United States is based on homicide rates per 100,000. It's actually pretty low. Right. And, and ironically, despite what we hear from the media, it's <laughs> safer to live in the United States now than it was in the 1990s wow. and the 1970s. But we don't, we don't get that sense. Doesn't because, seem you know, like that, does the media. You know, with the media. No, it doesn't. Well, the number one rule of media, and I know a lot of people in media, is if it bleeds, it leads. It leads. <laughs> so they get you to <laughs> listen and watch, right. and they keep you there, and they keep it, keep it filled with negative news and, and get you all yeah. depressed in a half hour, and they've sold you a whole bunch of stuff, like soap. Yeah, I mean, if you walk up and down Beer. the streets, you, you walk up and down the American streets, and you ask people, like, uh, tell me about, like, homicide rate, gun, gun, gun violence, compared to how it was in the 90s and, say, the 1970s, they'll tell you it's way worse. Yeah. But if you yeah. look at FBI crime statistics on homicides per 100,000, it's, it's safer. It's basically safer than it's ever been. And so, obviously, there's still issues. We still need to sort things out. But likewise, you know, when you get a place like Mexico, homicide rate's pretty high. But again, it's really regional. So you've got the, the port cities that are dangerous, the, the cities up by the U.S. border that are dangerous. Right. Anything where you've got, you know, drug movements back and forth. Right, right. But there are pockets that are relatively safe. Having said that, Panama is another level. So Panama is far safer than Mexico. And with Panama, you can drink water out of the tap. It costs <laughs> a little bit more to live in Panama or to be in Panama than it does to be in Mexico. But, yeah. you know, we're, you know, the more I travel, guys, the more I realize I don't know. And the more I realize, yeah. like, I have to keep, I have to keep learning. I, I'd never been here before. And, um, and I'm liking it. We're having a really good winter, uh, winter here in Panama. Well, what I say in the financial world, it's not the information that's out there. It's where you're getting the information. So if, if you're getting it from a biased source, guess what? It's going to be biased. <laughs> so that's why we talk about in, in the financial world how important it is to deal with a fiduciary planning firm that has access to risk and safety so you put that proper plan together. Now, let's look at your rule number one in your book is spend like you want to grow rich. Now, what does that mean? Yeah, you know, many people think that wealthy people spend gobs of money and that's you know that's what you'll see on on television and you might read that in a, in a flashy magazine and such but the, the truth is that wealthy people spend far less than we often think they do especially when we're looking at depreciating assets like you know like vehicles uh it's it's really interesting looking at uh i mean thomas stanley wrote about this in the millionaire next door when he first published that book in 1996. And he continued his research. And then in 2019, a few years after his death, he was unfortunately killed in a, uh, an automobile accident. He, uh, his daughter, who he had been working on a new book with, ended up continuing the research and, and publishing a book called The Next Million Next Door. Yep. And what that book showed was that the median price paid for uh, a median price that the typical American millionaire paid for their latest car was $35,000. Now, now, what's so interesting is this. Now, so my wife and I have a condominium, and there are 40 units in this place, and, and 
of my neighbors, you know, 39 neighbors there. It's in, it's in uh, Victoria, British Columbia. And if I go down into the parking area and I look around at the vehicles, uh, I would say that probably the majority of those vehicles are worth more than $35,000, but I'd be surprised if any of the people driving them are actually millionaires. Yeah. So that means they're spending all their money on depreciation, depreciating assets, which is not the, the proper recipe, is it? You know, it's not, you know, it becomes the norm because when you see other people doing it, like your neighbors are doing oh, it, yeah. this just becomes what people do. Face and so you start thinking, because <laughs> ah, everyone else is doing it, it's got to be at least normal, if not healthy, it's normal. You don't even think of it as unhealthy, but yeah. you know, we do, we have this, uh, I think an unhealthy, most of us culturally have an unhealthy relationship with, uh, I think our desire to acquire stuff, uh, depreciating assets. And often we borrow money to get them. Well, I don't know if they have this bias yet. There's like a familiarity bias. It's all the biases. But what about the wealth bias? So you're biased because you want to look wealthy. That's what people buy. You know, when you and I don't know if your parents ever told you this. My dad never told me anything to spank. But mom would say, well, like if I came home and I did something wrong at school. And I said, well, mom, everyone else was doing it. And she would say, if everyone else was jumping off a cliff, would you do it too? And I would say no. And so that's what happens here. You see everyone else blowing money and you decide, well, if they're doing it, I can do it too. But the smart people, the rich people, they're hiding in plain sight. And in your book, I learned a term. I, I, I'm honest. I didn't know this term. The DECA millionaire. And Thomas knew right. that. When I, when, I asked, when I asked the guys when we were doing the show and that no one had seen the book yet, I said, what's a DECA millionaire? And Thomas, Thomas knew it. But <laughs> and then, and then, well done, Thomas. Yeah. And then one final point of that, and I want you to talk about this, but, but in that DECA millionaire chapter in the book, and again, it's chapter one, you talked about Warren Buffett in 2006 spent $55,000 on a Cadillac. The funny thing is, in 2005, I spent about that on the same Cadillac. I got a Cadillac, Cadillac SRX, which was a hearse kind of one. It was a station wagon. I really loved that car. So I feel like Warren Buffett today. <laughs> but Warren Buffett, could buy, he could buy million-dollar cars, and he's sitting there buying, a, and it's still a lot of money, but $55,000 Cadillac. Now explain the DECA millionaire kind of philosophy and what gets people there and keeps them there. Well, it's really spending, spending less on depreciating assets like cars and thinking more about spending like a millionaire. And that millionaires actually don't typically dine out at really exclusive resort, uh, really exclusive restaurants on a daily basis, for example. Most millionaires don't own Rolex watches. Most millionaires don't go around buying extravagant jewelry or fancy brand name purses. And that's a total irony. Um, you know, if we were to grab the people that end up buying really expensive jewelry, really expensive purses, and really expensive cars, and we were like to corral them all into a room, like we took, you know, I don't know, we found like a thousand of them. You went into an upscale parking lot, you found all these people that had these really high end vehicles, and you, you, you jammed them all into a room and you gave them truth serum, and you're actually to ask them, like, uh, how much money do you actually have? You'd find that most of them had really high salaries. So, you know, they might be doctors and lawyers and people that end up earning a lot of income, but they're typically people that have low levels of wealth. That doesn't mean that there aren't rich people who end up driving really expensive cars. There are, but most rich people don't. So it's a great way of reframing things because, you know, what you're not spending on an expensive vehicle, if you choose not to, you can put towards investing for your future. Yeah, you can put towards point. donating money to charitable causes. You can put towards potentially taking time off uh, a, a form of sabbatical. 
to spend time with people you love and enjoy some really cool experiences. And generally speaking, you know, we don't get a lot of satisfaction. We think we do beforehand, but we don't get a lot of satisfaction from material acquisitions. Buyer's we think remorse. We do. Remember that term? Exactly. Buyer's remorse. That's what happens too. You say, gosh, the little the little voice inside you said, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Even though it felt good for the first couple minutes or first couple days, buyer's remorse kicks yeah. in and you realize you made a mistake. Hey, Andrew, this has been a fascinating interview. Interesting guy for sure. Again, the book is Millionaire Teacher, The Nine Rules of Wealth You Should Have Learned in School, and it's available anywhere you buy books, including Amazon. You can learn more about Alan on his website, andrewhallam.com, and you can hear the rest of the interview by visiting coachlistens.com. Pizza! Now a new feature we call Unintentional Inventions. Dave Perkins has the story. Great things can happen by accident. This is Unintentional Inventions. Is it duck or duct tape? More in a moment. The tape is recorded in the Oxford English Dictionary as duck, by the way, and as being in use since 1899. Although the most common origin given for duct tape concerns a woman named Vesta Shrout. She had two sons serving in the U.S. Navy during World War II. Out of either patriotism, concerns for her sons, or both, she reportedly sent her letter to President Roosevelt. She suggested using an adhesive fabric tape to seal boxes of ammunition to save time in opening during battle. She was concerned that the ammunition box seals they were using were taking too long to open. Well, Johnson & Johnson reportedly then developed duct tape from that suggestion. Now to duck or duck. Many people believe it was called duck in the early days because of its resistance to water like a real duck. The most common name used is the duct one because of its usage on air ducts. The gray color of the tape acted as camouflage on the tin. But the uses for duct tape are endless, from holding loose car parts on to its historic use during the Apollo 13 mission. It was used to modify the square carbon dioxide filters from the failed command module to fit the round receptacles in the lunar module. The lunar module, which acted as their lifeboat, was only meant to accommodate two people, and the three astronauts were exhaling too much carbon dioxide. Mission Control crafted the fix on the ground and then talked the crew through it. Commander Jim Lovell. Yeah, they said, now take three feet of duct tape. And we said, what, three feet? They said, yeah, an arm's length of duct tape. Ed Smiley, who designed the modification in Houston, said in a 2005 interview that once it was confirmed that duct tape was on board, he felt like they were home free. He said one thing a Southern boy will never say is, I don't think duct tape will fix it. It's gotten us all out of a jam at some point, so here's to good old-fashioned American gray tape. Duck or duct tape. Great things can happen by accident, but please don't leave your retirement to chance. Well, there's a whole lot of stuff I never knew about duct tape or duct tape, whatever it is. Pizza! Time now to check in with Eric Carney and Joseph Lanza in Southwest Florida, and the show is WealthWorks Radio. Now, in this clip, Eric is comparing finding a penny on the ground and picking it up to building a solid retirement income. You know what's funny is uh, I walked out of a store the other day, and there was a penny on the ground, and I picked it up. Yes, I do that too every time. Good for you, Steve, because you know what? That is free money. I don't care if it's a nickel or a dollar. It's free money. Exactly. And, 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 you know, um, 
I get excited. I mean, like I put it away and I don't even know why what I did with that penny, but I put it in my pocket and it'll probably, you know, come out in the wash somewhere. But it's my penny now, right? And yes. so um I, I always do that. And so whenever I use the analogy, I'll say if you go out in the parking lot and you see a dollar bill, you know that you're gonna pick it up. We we may not all pick up pennies. And and for right now, I'm lucky enough to be able to bend over and pick up a penny, right? So I'm 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 very glad. Use it before you lose it. Exactly, yeah. So, um, but if it's a dollar, you know, we'll do anything to pick up a dollar. So, I tell all my clients that aren't taking the match. Look, if you walk outside, there's a dollar bill. You're going to pick up that dollar bill, and there's no doubt about it. All of us will. But when you don't take the match that your employer's offering you. You are leaving lots of dollars every time that you get paid on the ground. And it's 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 incredible too how many people leave dollars on the table. And so that's one thing that you know we really have to talk about with you know new people coming in um, about that match and really explaining how it works. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of people that are educated about how it works, and that's unfortunate. So again, this is a really big deal. And remember, the majority of your income in retirement more than likely is going to come from your 401k. Um, whether it's a, a, a TSP or a 403B or a 401k, however you get that retirement savings in, you want to make sure that this is managed, monitored, and maintained on a regular basis. This is really important. Again, from a financial planning standpoint, this is where the financial plan really comes in. And this is where Joseph is actually working a lot with Donna Crone, who's a certified financial planner, and they're building this out to take a look at all of this. And again, you know, your asset allocation is 20% of that portfolio and the investment plan. This is another portion of it. So Joseph, I mean, what do you see on this front? Well, one of the biggest problems that we're running into is CPAs are so worried about reducing the current tax year uh, liability. So they're really encouraging their clients to put as much as they can into 401ks and all these tax deferred accounts, which is great. Don't get me wrong. It's great. But a lot of clients come to a certain point where they've built up so much tax deferred money that when we start to run their RMD calculations, their required minimum distributions that they are forced to take at 72, they are massive compared to what their expenses actually are, meaning when they're in retirement, they're going to be facing a big what we like to call a big tax monster almost right because they're just feeding into this tax deferred account. And it's causing this huge snowball that will hit them later on once they have to take RMDs. So it's important to sit down. And this is why a plan is so crucial as well with understanding what your expenses are inflation on the on the plan growth to the portfolio and saying to yourself, do I need to keep putting into a tax deferred account? Or do I need to look at other avenues? Well, that was fun. Eric and his team at Retirement Wealth called Cape Coral, Florida home. His show, WealthWorks Radio, can be heard on News Radio 1580 WCCF in Punta Gorda, Florida, or on the iHeartRadio app anywhere. You can also find him on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd recommend subscribing to it so you don't miss an episode. You can visit his website, ericcarneyadvisor.com. That's ericcarneyadvisor.com. And you can also find him on TV in the area on both Saturday and Sunday. Check your listings for times and channels. Pizza! Here's another new feature for you called Financial Successes and Financial Failures. This time it's a success story, and here's Gary Nolan with the details. 
Welcome to Financial Success Stories and how they went from rags to riches. In 2011, Tony Hightower was running a small trivia business in New York City when he qualified to get on Jeopardy. Hi, I'm Tony Hightower from Astoria, New York, the most culturally diverse neighborhood maybe on the planet. Watch me do all of you proud on Jeopardy. He won $23,000 and suddenly his phone started ringing. It was Ken Jennings, who holds the longest winning streak on Jeopardy. He called him and told Tony that he'd been invited to who wants to be a millionaire. Ken asked him to be his lifeline. Tony was honored and petrified. He went to Connecticut where they shot the show and hung out with Ken all day long in the green room. At a certain point, one of the producers asked him to be on the show, and here's what happened. Here is your $250,000 question. In Wikipedia's current logo, depicting a spherical jigsaw puzzle, which Greek letter is seen on the piece immediately to the left of the one bearing a W? Is it Alpha, Delta, Omega, or Zeta? C, Omega, final answer. You did it. Yeah! That's right, Tony won $250,000. It was the biggest single payday of his life. Now he had to figure out what to do with the money. I'm rich! I'm wealthy! Yahoo! He put it into his company, hired a couple of people, and set himself up with a retirement account, something he never thought he'd have. Tony now has a management team, and they run dozen events around the city each night. He gets flown out for corporate events all over the country. The trivia company is bigger than it's ever been. They're doing far more business now than ever. His days of scraping and struggling are now over. Tony said, it's nice to have a mattress under you with some padding. He also said, I've always lived as if I were two bad weeks away from sleeping in a cardboard box. This is the first time in my life where I feel like that might not be the case. Who knew knowing some trivia could be so lucrative? You can have your own financial success story. Get on the right path to financial freedom and keep listening for more success stories. That's a great story. All because he knew stuff that most of us don't care about. Way to go. Pizza! One more clip, and this time we head to Parma Heights, Ohio, where we find retirement coach Joe Hamill. In this clip, he goes over the various standards of care in the financial world. Within the financial industry, or financial advisor industry, maybe I should say, there's two standards of care that's out there. Um, and, uh, and I want to start off with this, that uh, you educate in our audience about those two standards of care. So the first one is the highest standard of care, and that's called the fiduciary standard. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I know we talk a lot about that on our show, as well as on the TV show. And yeah, I've, I've heard it on advertisements, even with other firms and so forth. So I think more and more people are becoming more familiar with that fiduciary standard. That's the highest standard of care. That basically says that we have a uh, that we act in our client's best interest at all times, and also to work with full transparency uh, regarding uh, conflicts of interest. Uh, also pointing out the the, the good and the bad about uh, different products or different options or different solutions or different decisions, things like that. Um, so that is that highest standard of care. The other standard of care, it's a lower standard of care. It's called the suitability standard. And for advisors that operate under that standard, they need to make recommendations that are suitable for their clients. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily in their best interest, but they just have to be suitable recommendations. And I want to make sure our audience understands that just because maybe an advisor is working under that suitability standard of care, that doesn't mean that they've been relegated to that, you know, because uh, maybe they 
haven't been able to pass some tests or maybe they don't know as much or that they're bad people. It's nothing like that. Uh, it's basically just due to the type of licensing that you hold. There's a lot of different licenses in this industry that one can obtain. And it, it really relates to that and also who the, um, who the advisor works for. Uh, sometimes just based on who they work for, uh, that determines uh, which standard of care that they're going to be operating under. So I wanted to start off with that with those two different standards of care. Sure. Now, let's break that down then into the, those four different um, uh, terms uh, that you use, planners, advisors, brokers, and agents. So um, a, a planner, someone that calls himself a planner, and that is something that we, uh, the title that I use, a term that I use, uh, that we here at Hamill Advisory Services, we are a retirement planning firm. We are retirement planners. So what we do is we plan. We put together written plans for our clients, in our case, written retirement plans. Uh, now, there might be planners out there that do college planning or um, uh, debt planning, you know, uh, counseling on uh, uh, paying off mortgages and, you know, getting out of debt, things like that. So there's different types of planners. We do retirement planning. So again, therefore, you could expect written plans. And in our case, like I said, it's, it's usually revolving around retirement income. Uh, when to claim social security and pension maximization strategies and where you're going to be drawing your income from in retirement and the different taxes uh, that uh, might be applicable and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's planning. The next one uh, term that you, you used is advisors. So advisors give advice, uh, advice on which types of investments to use or advice on uh, perhaps when to claim a social security strategy or to hold off or advice on when to pay off a mortgage or, you know, should you pay off a car loan and just giving out advice. That's what advisors do. And again, it could range from a lot of different topics, but again, in order to do these things, you need to hold the proper license. Uh, the next term you used is brokers. Now, typically uh, with the term brokers, what that relates to is a stockbroker. And this is something I think probably our audience, most people are familiar with, with a stockbroker that's usually working for a brokerage firm. It could be a, one of those large brokerage firms, uh, or it could be, a, you know, a, a, your local bank is, uh, might have a brokerage set up in-house. Most banks nowadays do. So with a brokerage firm, that broker is going to be selling you uh, stocks and bonds and mutual funds, things of that nature. And then the last one uh, you use were agents. And again, typically that term is associated with like an insurance agent, somebody that's licensed to offer you and explain about um, in different insurance products, you know, life insurance, long-term care insurance, so the different types of annuities. Those are typically the things that fall under that realm of an insurance agent. An independent fiduciary with lots of experience is the way to go, in my opinion. Coach Joe is in Parma Heights, Ohio, and his show, The Financial Playbook, airs on several stations in the Cleveland area on both Saturdays and Sundays. Visit HamillAdvisory.com for a complete list of times and stations. You can also find the show on his website as well as on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts. So that's it. Episode 139 of Financial Pizza is cooked to perfection, boxed, and ready for that digital delivery. Financial Pizza features clips and more from some of the best financial radio programs and podcasts heard around the country every week, all brought to you hot, fresh, and in 30 minutes or less. Now, if you like Financial Pizza delivered to you every week, just subscribe to it. It'll automatically be in your podcast collection. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or anywhere you download a podcast. And as long as you're subscribing, be sure and rate and share the podcast 
we've got lots of pizza to go around. And remember, you can reach any of the advisors featured here by calling 800-662-6808 or text PIZZA to 600-700. I've got links to all the advisors as well as author Andrew Hallam listed in the show notes with this podcast. If you'd like to reach me, email steve at financialpizza.com. You can find me on Twitter, too, at Steve Siddall. Thanks to Dave Perkins and Gary Nolan for contributing content for today's show. Financial Pizza is produced, written by me, Steve Siddall. It originates from the studios of broadcasting experts in Apex, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, everybody. Really do appreciate it. And I'll be back again next week with another episode of Financial Pizza. I'm Steve Siddall. Pizza! Coach P Radio. Information provided is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Neither Peter J. Deruta or his guests are liable for the usage of information discussed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Annuity guarantees are based solely on the financial strength and claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Individuals should thoroughly review the contract for specific details of the product features and costs. Income payments and withdrawals from deferred annuities are generally taxable as ordinary income in the year they are taken. Money management is provided by Equus Capital Management. Equus is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in San Rafael, California. Investment advice by Capital Financial Advisory Group, LLC, a North Carolina-registered investment advisor. Insurance advice given by Capital Financial and Insurance, a North Carolina-licensed insurance agency.